to our regular listeners, it will be somewhat clear that Monocle is rather proud of its relationship with and presence in Switzerland. The humble demeanor of its people and their sharp business credentials are but a few of its many assets, and we're not the only international brand who takes pride in their Swiss connections. Nestled beside Lake Geneva in the city of Lausanne is multinational technology firm Logitech. Founded by Swiss and Italian Stanford alumni in 1981, the company engineered some of the first commercially available computer mice. Almost 40 years later, they're now a maker of everything from webcams to headsets, keyboards to surround sound gaming gear and video conferencing systems, and have become a mass market facilitator of almost every part of our virtual lives. Naturally, this means that the worldwide stay-at-home orders have played to the company's strengths, reflected in an impressive revenue growth of 23% in the first quarter of this year. Leading the charge at the firm is CEO Bracken Darrell. Darrell took the helm of Logitech in 2013 when the brand was in choppy waters and is largely credited with breathing new life into the business and nurturing an all-important design-led strategy which turned the brand's fortunes around. Joining me from his home in Montreal today, we discuss the revolution in content creation, homeworking, esports and gaming, the importance of the brand's geography, and what Logitech has in store for ensuring its growth sustains far beyond the current crisis. I'm Tyler Brule, and this is The Chiefs on Monocle 24. I wanted to start today, Bracken, just by maybe looking at maybe where you were a year ago. At a time, of course, we've seen the evolution of so many players in your sector. We've seen consolidation. We've seen the focus and comfort of consumers going to certain brands. And maybe where we are today, that's a long span. But if you think back to a year ago, looking at, at certainly the lineup of products that you had, the pipeline of what's in development, where were you a year ago when you were looking out at, at and of course, also just looking at the overall plan and, and where you wanted to be results-wise? Well, you know, I mean, a year ago today, we were in our fifth year. We've had a really good run, Tyler. So we we're in our fifth year of either near or double-digit growth. We were really following four big trends, video everywhere, people working from anywhere uh, beyond just video, the rise of esports or PC gaming as a, as a phenomenon, and then the, the rise of this thing we call the democratization of content creation. So the, we're moving from Disney creating all the content to individuals. And so we served those four markets, those four trends. So we were on those four, and we called those these big secular trends that were 90% of our business, and we were excited about where we were going. That's where we were a year ago today, and all of our product lineups were dedicated to that. And maybe if we fast forward to where we are now, and there's probably a little bit, of course, that we need we need to fill in in between. But here we are. We were, you know, we're at the end of the first half of of 2020, and of course, everyone will know what has been in between all of that. But, you know, here, here is a time when, of course, you know, we're looking at the performance of, of Wall Street and many are scratching their heads as to, uh, you know, why it's, you know, certainly many companies have been quite resilient. But also, you know, you know we're talking across audio, uh, headsets, microphones involved, uh, you know, may, maybe some materials more professional at one end or the other, but it, it doesn't matter. We've moved into a world of voice and video, and this is tethering businesses great and small together right now. So how do you look at things at the moment? Well, you know, those four trends, which I'll just repeat for your listeners, because it's hard to keep track of them, video everywhere, working from anywhere, which is now home. The rise of esports, which has now become the only sport you can watch for a little while. And then the growing number of people who are streaming content for other people, whether it's one, a few other people or, or millions to see. Those four trends, it's like somebody hit the accelerator button. You know, in, in our analyst call, I called it like hyperspeed mode. Everything accelerated. You know, everything 
accelerated. And so we're, we're now in this spot where, you know, every one of those trends is moving into what it probably would have looked like in 20 years. What has that meant then? You know, a, a big discussion, of course, we've had with many other CEOs and business leaders and also people, you know, working in, in the public sector space has been, of course, dealing with supply chains. And when you talk about those numbers, those and, and that growth happening now, what has that meant for you? Uh, if I'm a retailer at a very fine end of the chain, and I've got, you know, I've got customers coming in, no matter where it's been, how have the last few months been with you? And how have you managed it? Well, first, of all, I'll give you a couple of numbers. So our growth in that seven, eight, nine percent, we were expecting to grow went to 14% in the first calendar quarter this year, went to 25% in the second calendar quarter and went to the third. So it really has accelerated. That has caused uh, supply gaps, you know, where we just couldn't keep up with the demand. You know, webcams, for example, blue microphones, that's another product or brand of ours, some gaming products, some um, just good old fashioned mice and keyboards. So we've had supply gaps that we've had to catch up with, but we have a very, very flexible, resilient supply chain. For the most part, we can ramp up pretty quickly. You know, I think in Q1, we sold well, we just sold a lot of webcams, for example, and we'll catch up by the time we get to the end of this quarter or early next quarter with the demand, I think. So the slide gaps have been tough. The, certainly our, our e-tailers and retailers have felt it, but I think they're starting to feel better right now. A lot of discussion, certainly in a country where uh, at least part of your business is based, you know, whether it's in Switzerland, certainly on the other side of the border, we've heard a lot from from Germany. Focusing, of course, on, on medical supplies as well. Of course, you know, the, the Swiss like to, to stockpile all kinds of things. There's, but there's been a bit of huge discussion about supply chain reliance on perhaps too few countries. Do you think we see a rethink as well when it comes to your sector? Because, you know, it's very, it's very difficult if you want to sort of step outside of a made in China or, or a made in Taiwan at the moment. Does a rethink occur in your area as well? And not just speaking you know, solely for your brand, when you also speak to your peers and, and competitors, is there a bit of a settle down moment right now, Bracken? Or yeah, all roads will still lead to China? Well, I think the starting point for really reevaluating our supply chain locations was the onslaught of tariffs that came. So when tariffs started, you know, U.S. tariffs started and then, and then it went back and forth some. Uh, we, companies like us started to move some manufacturing out of China into the, mainly into the countries around China. You know, there was Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, some of the Philippines. So that happened. And, I, and we're, as I said, we're very flexible on moving things. Our supply chain, the rest of the chain that supplies our components and things is, is not always as flexible. So that has had a little catching up to do. But I would say we're in a settle down moment now where we've already moved a lot and things are kind of catching up with where we are and we're getting used to manufacturing in those locations. Will we go further than that? I don't know. You know, we've always moved manufacturing. If you look at the history of Logitech over 39 years, we've moved major manufacturing sites you know, four different times. We started in, in a barn in Switzerland and in a, an office in Silicon Valley. And from there, we just kept moving. And now we find ourselves mainly still in China, but also around other parts of Southeast Asia. I'm sure over time, we'll keep moving. I want to go into a bit of the dynamic. I mean, it's very unique. Of course, you know, Switzerland is very active on the U.S. West Coast. And that's not just from uh, the private sector, but also, you know, the public sector, how the Swiss government is engaging in and around San Francisco is fascinating to watch. Do you think there's a certain power that you have as a brand? Is it much of a consideration that you've got this you know, base in Lausanne, and then uh, also you're, you know, in the, the wonderful space also of the U.S. West Coast. Well, we love being Swiss. So we're a Swiss company at heart. Two of the three founders were Swiss, and our headquarters is in Switzerland, in Lausanne, right on the, right on the lake. 
and we're sitting on the edge of this wonderful university called EPFL. Some of your listeners will know. So we are fundamentally a Swiss company and you can feel the Swissness kind of run through us. We've had this big advantage from almost the beginning where those same founders actually went to Stanford, got a graduate degree in, in software engineering and started Logitech simultaneously in Palo Alto and Lausanne or actually in Apple's, Apple's, if you can't make this up, Apple's Switzerland. So the, that simultaneous start has left us with this uh, kind of started a bipolar and then became a tripolar company where we're, we really do feel like a combination of Swiss, American, and Chinese. You know, and I would say we have the premium focused, high quality orientation of Switzerland, which is a huge advantage. Then we have the sort of the entrepreneurial spirit. And we feel like you'll, if you talk to people in our company, it feels like a, a small company in so many ways. We, we're broken into small teams. People have a lot of ownership for what they do. They have a lot of freedom. And then we have the speed of China. I mean, we're in fast, we're in super fast markets, you know, and, and it feels fast. And so that blend has been one of the secrets of why Logitech's been able to keep growing over, you know, over 39 years. You know, we, how many companies have been growing for 39 years grew 25% last quarter? You know, it's, it, and I think that's because of this culture. It's remarkable. And I want to come back to, let's say, that, that quality component and, and certainly, you know, the design attributes that come with and sometimes, right. you know, they're, they're earned and, and sometimes they're just assumed when something is, you know, stems from, from a Swiss company. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. What I'm curious about right now, though, is it's a time, of course, of, of extraordinary tension. And when you, when you look at those four areas that you talked about, and certainly that those are those four focus areas, how much of that was external? And you don't have to give, give away a consultancy that may have developed that for you. Or, you know, was it just, was it clear, as you said, you know, if you've got, you know, very entrepreneurial, small groups, I'm wondering, you know, your current focus that's taking you to this point of, yeah, 25% growth, how much of it was homespun or how much of it was the consultants? You know, I'm so excited to be able to say we don't work with any consultants. It's 100% homegrown. And it's homegrown by virtue of the fact that we we have a model that's really fun and, and interesting. You know, one of the reasons why we're probably on, on your show is that we're extremely design driven. You know, we didn't have a single designer when I joined eight years ago, but I hired a, the former head of design from Nokia, Alistair Curtis, who's been my partner ever since. And we built that 150 person design organization. And we're just constantly trying new things. So we have we have a process we call trees, plants, and seeds. The seeds are things that nobody knows about. They're between you know five and fifteen at a time. They're very small teams trying to create new categories or inner categories of something different. And we use design principles to do it. And so those those that experimentation and, and entrepreneurship has been the thing that's driven us into these four areas. That and the core capabilities that we have that just lend themselves. So we're always looking for small ponds where we can be the leader. We want to be the big fish in small ponds. We don't want to be a small fish in big ponds, or big, the big ocean. And so that's what's led us here. So it's really completely homegrown. Well, I mean, congratulations on on so many <laughs> levels for for being able to to sidestep or or just you know avoid working with the consultants. You know, sometimes great and uh, and oftentimes not. But going back to uh, you know when, when you talk about these seed teams, what is the design process like? Because I think our, you know, our listener would be fascinated. Is, are we talking about, you know, one studio on the West Coast, uh, one studio where people actually do have to come together, you have to look at prototypes. And, you know, we know that has probably been one of the challenges right now. And yeah. you, when we talk to architects, yes, of course, we do lots of things on screens. But right. there is a point when you do have to pick up the styrofoam model or whatever it is and turn it around and, and look at it from every angle. Um, and that, that is important. But yeah, maybe just if you can discuss a little bit, you know, if we peeled back enough layers that we could look at the design process, 
Where are you pulling talent from? Where are they sitting and how do they come together? We have a super dynamic organization structure. I have 24, 25 direct reports. One of them is Alistair Curtis. And the whole company kind of runs in this very, very small team oriented way. And the design team's no exception, but we're also changing all the time. So when Alistair started, we created kind of the classic centralized design organization that most of it was sitting in either Silicon Valley or in Switzerland. And, you know, and there was a studio and they, all the designers sat together and things came through there and we would have crits, you know, if you're a designer, you'd know what that is. You know, you we'd have crits on a regular basis or Alistair would have crits and then bring in not just the designers, but the product teams. And, and, and so that was the way it worked. And then, we got three or four years into that and we felt like, okay, this is getting stale and we can go faster and do more and, and maybe make it more powerful. So then Alistair pushed the designers out into the businesses. Now we've gone from eight businesses basically to 29. Pushed those designers out into the businesses. Now they're all over the world. They're in Taiwan, they're in China, they're in Cork, Ireland, they're in, you know, they're all everywhere. And so now they're pushed out into the businesses. They're working on small projects all the time. It's very, very dynamic. And we've been doing that the last three or four years. And now we're changing it again. And we're pulling part of those people back in again to really work on completely new and upstream and kind of unusual things and leaving some of them in those dedicated teams they were in where they were the designer in a functional in a cross-functional team. So it's been pretty dynamic. And where are we getting them from? They're located, as I said, all over the world. And we're, we're really recruiting people from all over. We've got people from IDO. We've got people from Nokia. We've got people from Frog Design. We've got all kinds of different people, people right, almost right out of school too. We've just spun the globe there for a moment. How important is geography? And not just from design. I mean, also just when you think about your senior management team, because again, it's all being you know, thrown up there at the moment. Certainly we see in a Europe perspective, you know, the supremacy of London is being challenged, the supremacy of many other cities as well, partly because of, of course, the devices that you make allow, of course, people to work from a variety of places. But at the same time, though, you, know, you still want to have a cluster of talent. And so I'm just wondering, if, is there a bit of a, a house view from a lot, from certainly from Logitech side, that you know, the importance of, of where people gather, how they gather, is that something that you think about, particularly when it comes to attracting talent? I'd say we had a view that we needed, you know, three or four kind of centers of design in the world. And we had them, you know, a couple in Europe, which were in Cork and, and the bigger one in, in Lausanne. And then, of course, in California and then in Taiwan and then one in Suzhou. So that was our view. And, and we kind of viewed it as a sort of, you know, a place where we can come together. I'll tell you, the, the COVID-19 thing has really upset the apple cart where everything's on the table. You know, Alistair and I were talking yesterday about or day before yesterday about this, you know, you don't have the option really to necessarily have people together. So you've got to figure out a way to be able to innovate without bringing people physically together. Now we'll change that when we, when we can get back together again. But in the meantime, you just have to find a way. And I think that's actually a great experience because it's forcing us to be more thoughtful about how we bring teams together and what they're doing when they are together. So I'm excited. You know, I, I think if you're, for, especially for your audience, I think a lot of your audience has probably now got some kind of a makeshift design studio, if they didn't already, some kind of a makeshift design studio in their house. It might be their kitchen table. It might be in their garage. It might be the bedroom that they don't use. It might just be the studio apartment that they live in. But whatever it is, they're creating their own creative space. And I think that's actually pretty cool. 
you, know, you talked about the notion of, of makeshift and if, you know we've spent time talking to, I mean, we do it day in and day out, you know, whether it is the CEO of a major office furniture company, uh, what is the play then at home? What is the role of, uh, of regulators going to be? What's taxed? What's not taxed? Uh, what do I charge back to the company in terms of the real estate <laughs> that I'm occupying? Oh there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's, listen, there's a lot of discussions around, around all of that. Listen, you're already doing it. I mean, you talk about your, your four pillars, but is there also, is there a next phase without giving away any, any state secrets in terms of, you know, is there the magic box that I can go and buy? So I'm going to, I'm going to sound great. I'm going to look great. And, you know, and by the way, also, you know, the background's going to be good. And I'm always amazed whether I'm watching CNN or, or any other outlet, how many people still position their, their camera. So you've got a shot right up their nostrils. Is there something that, that also that you can do because you're talking about design thinking and yet, listen, you cannot listen to you. People are going to behave one way driving a car and they're going to behave, also behave sometimes in a foolish way when they've got a camera on top of their, their screen. And so where, where do you take this next? Because, you know, presentation and design thinking are, are so important. And, and listen, you got, you know, sometimes you've got one shot, it's an interview or you're pitching for something. Yeah. It seems suddenly to me that you've got a whole area of real estate uh, that's, that's there for you to occupy. Well, I tell you, Tyler, we're so excited about this area. And as you said, you know, there, there are state secrets I can't share. You know, if there's seeds in development in, the, in those areas, we wouldn't talk, talk about it. But, but I can say that the insights are so rich and so varied. You know, who would have guessed that you would spend, not you in particular, but the average person uh, working at home would spend three or four hours a day looking at themselves in the mirror, which is effectively what you do because you've got that screen up there, whether it's Zoom or Teams or, or Google Meets, where you actually can see yourself. And so suddenly your confidence is built partly too much maybe on how you look and it drives how you feel. It's become a little too focused on our appearance on that two inch by two inch screen up there that has your face in it. And so trying to take some of the pressure off of that is actually something worth solving, whether it's making it so you look good all the time or you just don't have to be on the screen when you don't want to, even if other people are and, and you feel pressure. Some ways to solve that is an inside area that I think a lot of people are going to be figuring out how to solve, but maybe we'll be part of it. But there are more. And it's really an amazing, amazing time. And it just shows you, boy, the more you constrain people, the more creative they get. I mean, either that or, or I'm hearing that your M&A people bracket are, are working on just buying up a series of salons around the world as well, or, or <laughs> bringing them to your front door. I mean, <laughs> we're going into men and women makeup. That's exactly. our next, and, and any, yeah, that's a great point. No, it is fascinating. And, and as you said as well, I mean, there's the distraction that comes with not only gazing at yourself, gazing at others, and then what was the content that was being said, because you, you slightly zoned out from all of it. But when we talk about you know, opportunities in the market, I sometimes wonder, is there more of a Swiss play? And I think on the premium side, because here you are, you're sitting on the shores of Lac Lamain, Lake Geneva. Around you up in the hills, you have some companies that have done a pretty good job at applying some astronomical margins for almost a century and doing even better over the past few years when it comes to largely mechanical devices. And they're playing a Swiss card. You have a legitimate card as well. Is there room to say... Maybe you're not going to be making things in Switzerland, but that could also be interesting <laughs> as well. Yeah. But certainly pushing that design message even harder and playing on that whole provenance notion. You know, is there room? Listen, I'm, if I go to, to Fust or I go to Migro or any number of big players in Switzerland or anywhere else in the world, yeah, of course, we're talking about volume and we're talking about price. But is there also a Swiss card to be played as well when it comes to premium? Is, is that an area for Logitech potentially? 
I know, you, Tyler, that you feel the same way I do about Switzerland. I, I can tell by the way you asked the question. <laughs> it's really remarkable how premium Switzerland can be and how competitive they are in that premium space from this small country that is a small mountainous country, you know, in the middle of Europe. And we definitely benefit from that, that mindset, that orientation, whether it's quality or premium innovation. You know, so we certainly benefit from that. Now, your question is, should we bring that more about from a branding standpoint? Should we, you know, make sure people understand that we are a Swiss company? And the answer is probably yes. We certainly do it in some parts of the world. In China, for example, we have a Swiss flag on our packaging. And we really try to make sure people understand that we're Swiss. A lot of people think that we're Taiwanese. Others think we're Chinese. And so we've really tried to push harder to make sure people understand we are proudly partly Chinese and partly Taiwanese, but we're by birth, we're Swiss. And so we really try to push that there. Beyond that, we haven't pushed it quite as hard and maybe we should be, you know, I'm open to suggestions. We haven't hired a consultant to tell us that. So consultancy to tell us that maybe that's my mistake. And it, sort of, and it just made me think, it's like, you know, next time I, when we're all flying the way we should and maybe as much as, as appropriate in the future that, you know, if I went through Frankfurt or I went through Hong Kong, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, yeah, are there elements from the brand and maybe it's a sub-brand or something else, but I'm almost thinking you've got this interesting heritage that, you know, could there be your own standalone boutique in a number of the right places, you know, selling a number of these products? That might have come from, of course, a group of designers, one of your seed teams uh, that have just an interesting margin that it would, of course, make the market happy. Well, you know, I'd say it's very possible. When I first got here, I evolved my thinking on, gosh, should we have some of our own dedicated stores, you know, Logitech stores? And I reached a point a few years ago where I thought, you know, it really makes sense because even if you can just run them at break even, they're, they're great marketing, you know. And then we didn't do it because we had so many other priorities on the product front, the experience front. <laughs> And then COVID-19 hit and nobody's going through the airport and so few people are going into retail right now. So it's kind of off the table for now, but it could make sense at some point. Just before we go, I don't think you're making crystal balls yet, but you know, why not, right? Could be something for you. Could be a seed. It yeah. could be a seed. Listen, you, you've been talking about geographies again, and we talk about China, we talk about Taiwan, and then we have Switzerland, and then we've got the US, all in an interesting way, all places that in some ways there's alignment. And in some ways, all four countries that you talk about couldn't be further apart in terms of their policies and and how they have gone about managing things as well. What's your take? What's your gut right now? Do you sort of feel that you're going to have to gravitate towards a certain geography? This is going to be an APAC play for you for this next stretch. Are you feeling sort of good about, about Europe and maybe the traditions of Europe become a little bit untethered in a good way that opens things up? But if you, you know, again, if you go back and spin the globe, where do you see areas of focus for you right now? It's so exciting to be in my chair right now because we have so many opportunities. You know, if you look at last quarter, we grew 21% in the U.S., 23% in Europe, and over 25, you know, 30% in, in Asia Pacific. So it's really hard for me to say that one region is more important than the other one right now, or even one, or one country or another. Now, no doubt, China as a consumer market is just going to be a massive. And, you know, we already have a fantastic business there, a great brand there terrific team there and we're growing fast in China and we're going to keep growing fast in China. But, but, you know, I'm not saying this to be politically correct. We really have opportunities everywhere in the world. If you look at our growth rate last quarter, and if I could break it down by country for you, you'd be amazed that we're really growing in absolutely everywhere. And it's been that way for a while, even before COVID-19, we just saw opportunities everywhere. You know, the rise of esports. esports will become the biggest collection of sports in the world, bigger than traditional sports like American football and, and even even global football, soccer. 
and you, you heard it here first, and you won't be able to hold me accountable for 30 years, but I believe that. So we're in these very, very big long-term trends that touch every person in the world, you know, like the democratization of creating your own content versus watching just Columbia Pictures. These big long-term trends make it so that we can touch every country and we have opportunities everywhere. And we're working on more, by the way, those seeds aren't necessarily just in these spaces. So I don't see any real need to over-focus on one area, but we have opportunities everywhere, Tyler. Many thanks to Bracken Darrell for joining us on this week's edition of The Chiefs. And don't forget, The Chiefs Conference is coming up on September 17th at the storied Suvretta House in St. Moritz. And I'm talking, this is a live, non-virtual conference even though we were talking about all things virtual for this last half hour. Many of the guests we've had on the series, along with some fresh faces, will be putting their heads together to discuss and debate the challenges and opportunities of the next decade. Head to monocle.com to find out more. The Chiefs was produced by Paige Reynolds and edited by Steph Chungu. I'm Tyler Brule in Zurich. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>